Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Let's uh, look at God's Word. First, from Matthew chapter 19. It says, And the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Mark 8. Forever would save his life, would lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. And then from Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the very word of God. Amen. So we look at marriage, you have to ask the question, Why do marriages fail? You know, marriage matters. In fact, nothing quite matters like marriage. If our culture is in decline, the number one contributor isn't the government or the president or the schools or the church or the media. It's the demise of marriage. You know, years ago, the conservatives were wagging their finger at the LBGT community, saying, you're destroying the institution of marriage. And the gay community came back in retort and said, well, I don't know that we could do more damage to the institution of marriage than the heterosexual community has already done. Young people are increasingly reluctant to marry. Divorce rates are, are staying above 50%. But marriage matters. Marriage was God's idea. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So from the very first pages of the Bible, before there were nations, before there were states, before there were laws, there was one man, there was one woman, there was marriage. And our father Adam said, she is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. So what's the solution? True story. This older couple was at the doctor's office and they're meeting with the doctor. And the doctor finds out that they'd been married for 70 years. And the doctor's like, I've never met anyone who's been married that long. That's amazing. 70 years. He said, you got to help the rest of us. What's the secret to staying married that long? And they just didn't say anything. And 
The husband kind of looked at his wife and then very deadpan face said, neither one of us died. (laughs) So there you go. There's the secret to a, a long marriage. No, what's the solution? What's the solution? Is it more sex in marriage? Is it better communication? Is it stop arguing over money and and how to parent the kids? Or maybe the solution is you're just not trying hard enough. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, people need to try harder. All right. Come on, ladies, get off the phone. Sit on the couch with your husband and watch a game every now and then, all right? (laughs) Or come on, men, turn off that game and take your wife out on a date every now and then. Y'all just need to try harder. Or maybe the solution is you just need a better spouse. That's what you need. Your spouse isn't much. You need to get a new one. One writer said... The problem with marriage is that we've settled for lovers less wild. There's a wild lover that we have not embraced, that we've settled in marriage. There's a love you need. There's a lover that you need. And it's not your spouse. Take your sermon outline. Let's look at this. Marriages fail. Marriages fail due to a lack of a transcendent purpose. It's not only marriages that fail, why does retirement fail? For a lack of a transcendent purpose. Why does their career fail? Why do young adults constantly change jobs? Why are young adults drifting all the way through their 20s and they have no direction, they can't make any decision about what to do? Because a lack of a transcendent purpose causes a life fail. And marriages are built on an insufficient foundation. So why does a hurricane go through Haiti and 80% of the structures are destroyed? Because they are not built correctly to sustain the stress. They don't have a strong foundation. So what's wrong with the foundation of marriage? Well, there's an overemphasis on feelings an overemphasis on infatuation, which is wonderful, which is important, but it doesn't last. And we start our marriages in this romantic bliss, thinking that our spouse is perfect. This is a true story. I didn't make this up. When my wife and I were uh, about to get married, and she told her older sister, that I was perfect. It was a great week. But then what happens? We realize our spouse has all kinds of flaws. They're fearful and proud and selfish and abrasive, insensitive, critical, impatient, emotionally aloof. Another weak foundation is focusing on the temporal. Guys want a girl who's hot. Guys are attracted to physical beauty, but a woman wants personality, somebody who's fun and charming. But what does the Bible say? Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. They're fleeting. So what happened to that fun spouse that you married? Well, 
a 60-hour work week, a yard to mow, three kids that vomit and have diarrhea and constant ear infections, and it cost a mortgage, a second mortgage to have a babysitter. That's what happened. So why do marriages fail? They lack a transcendent purpose significant enough to last through the storms of life. Well, what's God's purpose for life itself? The Bible says we were made by the creator. We are given a gift of life in this world, a world that he made. And that we are to respond to him by living for his glory and his purpose. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not your kingdom, his kingdom. That life isn't about you. That true life is about laying your life down for God's glory. Look what Lewis says. He says, a car is made to run on gas. And it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel for our spirits were designed to burn. Or the food our spirits were designed to feed upon. There is no other. That is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing as finding life, full life, apart from God. So what's the purpose of marriage? To love your spouse as God has loved you. To model that love for a watching world that doesn't know God. The world can't see Jesus. Jesus isn't walking around on earth. But the world can see you and they can see your marriage. See you modeling that fidelity, that faithfulness. The Bible says this, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. He will be cleaved, he will be glued to his wife in plenty and in want, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. So what's the purpose for marriage? It's to lay down your life for God's glory and to serve your spouse's good. It's a covenant. It's a commitment. It's not a pledge that's based on the other person's performance. So let's just think about this. Let's suppose that you're having a baby and you're in the hospital and the nurse hands you this little newborn baby and you look at that baby and your heart is just filled with affection and love and you're just overwhelmed and you're like, oh, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to protect you and I'm going to be there for you always because you're my child. But you need to know that there's a few things that you're going to be responsible for and we might as well go ahead and lay down these ground, ground rules right away. First of all, I want 11 hours every night consecutively of sleeping, okay? I want you to be potty trained by the age of one. And I don't want any whining and I don't want you throwing food on the kitchen floor from your high chair, okay? You got these rules now. If you fail 
to meet any of these requirements, then you will no longer be my child. You'll be out of here. Now, what do do we call that? It's called abuse. (laughs) It's called you perform, you meet the needs, what I require, or you're out. The purpose of marriage is not your happiness. You know, people will come to us as pastors and they'll say, um, I'm leaving my wife, I'm leaving my husband, I'm getting a divorce, I'm tired of this. And we'll say, why are you doing this? Well, I'm not happy, I'm not fulfilled. Or I've met someone else, I'm finally happy. It was never about your happiness. There's a story about a grandfather who was hanging out with his 18-year-old grandson And his grandson was playing video games and he was about to uh, go to the beach with some of his friends. And uh, he's about walking out the door and he turns to his grandpa and he says, hey, grandpa, when you were 18, what were you doing with your friends? And he said, well, when I was 18, I was on a beach with some of my friends. Maybe you've heard of that beach. Omaha Beach in World War II. I was 18, but back then we had a transcendent purpose that called us out of our comfort. And even though we were 18, even though we were just boys, we had to act like men. And we had to charge up that sand and we had to run right into that machine gun fire. And we earned our manhood on those beaches. Men. Your wife's heart, pursuing your wife's heart, that's the place where you earn your manhood. Your wife's heart is your beach, and you charge after her heart, and you you pursue it, and you may feel often like you're getting shot down. Tough. Get up and charge again. And And I'll just say this to men. Actually, I'd say it to women, too. If your spouse comes to you and says, you know, I I would like it if we would get some Christian counseling for our marriage. You know what your response, men, is? Yes. Yes. Because that's what you promised to do on your wedding day. That's what you vowed. That no matter what, you would seek the health and the flourishing of the marriage. A good friend of, uh, of Ray's tells a story about he was, really dis- he was really struggling. For seven years, he was struggling with persistent darkness. He said every morning he woke up and he felt like evil was pursuing him. And he, he was going to doctors and psychiatrists and counseling. And, and it just persisted, persisted and persisted. And he looked at his wife one day and just tears coming down his face. And he said, he said, I'm going crazy. He said, they're going to institutionalize me. He says, they're going to come and they're going to put me in a straitjacket and they're going to put me in a padded room and they're going to lock me away. And his wife grabbed him by the shoulders 
And she looked him in the eye with a piercing glare and she said, if they take you away and if they put you in a padded room, I will come and I will live with you in that padded room because nothing is going to separate us. And he said that it was his wife's persistent tenacity that caused the downward spiral of darkness to break. She clearly knew her purpose. But it's also a purpose of serving God together. If a purpose of marriage is just a couple's happiness, then you will die in a cesspool of narcissism and you will suck any meaning out of life in your marriage. So together as a couple, you say, we will lay down our lives together. We will serve our community. We will serve our church. We'll open our home and hospitality. We will foster children. We will do it together. That's why God gave us each other. So that we would have a ministry partner to serve the world for his glory. Because marriage itself needs a transcendent purpose. So if your marriage is dry and your marriage is boring, and you're sitting in there and you're tired of looking at each other, then you need a transcendent purpose, a way to serve for God's glory. There's a teenager in our church and uh, years ago, and her, her life was spiraling out of control. Um, she was, uh, they were, the parents were very scared of her committing suicide. She was cutting herself. They were taking her to see a counselor, a psychiatrist, and she had a mentor and things were not getting any better and everybody was a little bit on edge. And so we called a meeting and we met over there in that building and the psychiatrist came, the counselor came, the mentor came, the parents and one of the pastors here on staff met with this, this, this group. And after talking for a while, the pastor said, listen, the counseling and meeting with the psychiatrist, that all stuff, all it needs to continue. But... She's still just looking at herself and her problems. She needs a purpose bigger than herself. She needs to go on a missions trip to a third world country. And the parents had the courage to do it. And her mom and her went to a third world country and they served for a good chunk of the summer. And she came back and she looked at her mom with clear eyes for the first time in a year and said, Mom, life's not about me. Life's about God and serving others. I know that now. And to this day, she is flourishing. That's what your marriage needs. Marriages also fail due to impossible expectations. Marriages are crushed under the weight of impossible expectations because we're counting on marriage to do what it was never designed to do. There's a void in our souls. Everybody in this room is a product of divorce. And divorce affects children. We were divorced from God. We walked away from God. The Bible says before we were divorced from God, we were naked and unashamed. But now we're trying to cover, our, cover ourselves. We're filled with shame. Our lives are a constant attempt to fill this void, to remove our worthlessness. 
And we do this with achievement and athletics and, and, and finding worth in other things like our children. But you know what? We will try anything other than God. And so we turn our spouse into a form of salvation. That, we, that our marriage would, would bring us healing. But no relationship can bear the weight of what only God can do. And you know, marriage is a very attractive idol. You know, people are rushing to the altar to get married because they have a deep neediness. A woman wants someone to give her love and security. A man wants someone who's going to be his cheerleader. And it's really, honestly, just a parasite relationship. It's like a tick on a dog. Okay, the tick just sucks the blood out of the dog, sucks the life out of the dog. But in marriage, you just have two ticks. <laughs> right? Until God is in his proper place in your life, you will always be complaining that your spouse doesn't love you enough, respect you enough, that they're not coming through for you. Because you are looking to marriage to do what only God can do. Robert Haas, in one of his poems, writes about this couple who is in love. and says this, And one day, running at sunset, the woman says to the man, I woke up feeling so sad this morning because I realized that you could not, as much as I love you, dear heart, cure my loneliness. You see, realizing, and everybody has this realization who's ever been married, you suddenly realize that your wife or your spouse can't really fulfill you. And that's not the prelude to the end of your marriage. It might actually be the thing that saves your marriage because it might set you and drive you to look for the only lover who can. Well, marriages also fail due to a lack of ability, humility. You know, you can go to uh, a thousand seminars and read books on how to improve your marriage. Um, but what good does it do to tell a paralyzed person to run faster or to jump higher? You just don't do any good because they don't have the ability. And marriage, a beautiful marriage requires all kinds of things that you are just not innately able to do. You have to be, for, for example, you have to be unselfish and be a servant. <laughs> Yet self-centeredness is the ever-present enemy of every church. I'm sorry. <laughs> self-centeredness is the ever-present enemy of every marriage. Every marriage has self-centeredness in it. So that means you don't have the ability to be unselfish and to be a servant all the time, 100%. So a beautiful marriage requires two people who think that their own self-centeredness is way worse than their spouse. Marriage requires you to see your own sin, to see that you're the biggest sinner in the house so that you can bear with your spouse's addictions and brokenness and dysfunction because you know that you are wounded, broken, and dysfunctional. 
So much so that you're just not really put off by what's wrong with them. You look at what's wrong with them and you go, <laughs> yeah, that's way worse. That's not, that's not nearly as bad as I am. And you're just stunned into silence with what's wrong with you. And so you're amazed that your spouse would put up with you and be patient with you and ever serve you at all. You see, when we first get married, we think we are like this couple dancing, okay? That's what we think. And then the first month goes by. Then we think we're this couple dancing. (laughs) And we think we're the beauty and our spouse is the beast. And all we can ever do is see their faults. All we can ever do is think of, oh, I've got the moral high ground. Oh, I have to put up with them again. Oh, she's so immature. Oh, he is so irritable. He's so beastly. She's just such a beast about this. There was a homeless woman who lived outside of a dance studio. And one day she went to the dance instructor and she asked him, she said, would it be okay if I just watched one of your dance classes? And he said, no, you may not. He said, instead, I'd like to give you a dance lesson. And she said, oh, no, I'm too dirty. And he said, so am I. Here they are. The dance of marriage requires each spouse to see their sin, to see their need. She said, I'm so dirty. And he said, so am I. John Owen writes this. He says, the person who understands the evil in his own heart is the only person who is useful, fruitful, solid in his beliefs and obedience. Others only delude themselves and thus upset families, churches, and all other relationships. So finally, how do we have a flourishing marriage? How do you have a beautiful marriage? How do you have a flourishing marriage? Love your spouse as Christ has loved the church. He died for her. The church was his bride. He gave himself, he gave his life to make her beautiful, to make her flourish. So love your spouse as Christ has loved you. That's how you have a great marriage. But the problem is we put all the emphasis on the wrong part of that truth. We spend all of our efforts in our marriages on the love your spouse part. Love your spouse, love your spouse. Come on, try harder, love her, love him, forgive. Be patient with them when they're grumpy and when they're selfish and when they're fearful. Love, their, love your spouse at their worst. When they're sick and difficult and angry and immature. You know, it's really, it's hard to love another sinner. And sometimes we need to be honest 
that we're just secretly we're not trying anymore. We're just done. We're just existing in our marriage. Because it's just so hard to love another sinner that lives with you and sees you. And you get overwhelmed and you get exasperated and you shut down and you think, I just don't have what it takes anymore. You never had what it takes. You don't have what it takes. Golf clubs, baseball bats, and fishing poles. They don't work real good when you're holding the wrong end of the bat, the pole, or the club. The power of the baseball bat begins by holding the right end of it. And most marriages are holding on to the wrong end of love your spouse as Christ has loved the church. The handle, the power, is holding on to Christ's love for you. You can't love them because you're not receiving love. The right grip is holding on to Christ's love for you at your worst. That Jesus has loved you when you're angry, when you're difficult, when you're immature. You know, Jesus got into the worst marriage, his marriage to us. And when his marriage was killing him, he stayed on the cross to have you and to hold you. You know, nobody has gone through hell like Jesus did to have you as his bride, to have you as his beloved. But you have to experience it. It has to be real to you. I don't know who wrote this. It was 9 p.m. I walked into the door carrying the burdens of the day at the office. The kids were already in bed. Eyelids are heavy, but holding out for a good night from daddy. My wife's tired, but smiling and happy to see me. But I don't want any of it. I stomp around, tearing open the mail, griping about the food that isn't in the fridge, acting like a jerk. It's some secret place inside of me. I know it, and it makes it worse. I wait for the reprisal from my wife, a well-earned reprisal. Hey, I don't deserve this from you. It's not forthcoming. Instead, she kisses me on the cheek. She says she loves me. And she goes to bed with that same smile on her face. And so I stand by myself in the kitchen. And I now have two companions, my bad mood and my wife's grace. I still feel grumpy, but I discover that there's something inside of me. I want to apologize. So I go to the bedroom. I tell her I'm sorry. Her response is quick. And her grace complete. You had a long day. You're allowed to be in a bad mood. You're a good man. I knew you would apologize. I used to say, I believe in grace. I don't say that anymore. Now I say, I've known it. You know, a lot of people go to church. 
And a lot of people read in the Bible that God is love and they memorize verses about God's love and they sing, Jesus loves me. But you can know all the Bible, but that doesn't mean that you've ever been kissed by the grace of God, that you've ever been run over by his grace, that you've really experienced it. Do you believe in grace? Good. But have you been kissed? The only way to marital health is to experience the radical spousal love of Jesus and then give it away. Let's pray. Jesus, um, many of us this morning are really thankful for the marriages that we have. Um, many of us know, others of us know there's work to be done. Um, would you help those couples to walk towards it? To call the church this week, to go to counseling, to get prayer, to open up to a brother or sister in Christ. And uh, Jesus, I, uh, I thank you for my wife. She is a precious gift to me that I don't deserve. And I have often failed to cherish her like you call me to do. Would you please forgive me? And would you open my eyes afresh uh, to see the gift that she is? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Thank you.